Welcome to the Decades of Strength podcast. We are Kim, Marcy, and Katie. We are three women on one mission. We are obsessed with empowering women to gain confidence, build strength, and ditch feelings of unworthiness. So grab your chair, come sit at our table, and let's talk. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Decades of Strength podcast. Katie Croak is here along with Kim Schlag and Marcy Nevin. Ladies, how are things going on this February day, 2-22-22? Here we are. Oh, that's right. It's that day everyone's all talking about, Tuesday. Mm, And Tuesday. 2-22-22-2022. Anything magical happened yet? It's only, you know, mid-morning for me. Anything magical happened? I'm just having a really lovely day, so that's magical. Yeah. Do you ever just have one of those days where things just, I should knock on some wood right now, things just running smoothly. I realize how early it is in the day and how much I already got done. And I was just like, okay. Well, that's refreshing. I feel like sometimes at this point, Kim, you're like, oh my gosh, I am so behind. I need to do this. I've got 10 more things lined up. I know. I feel that way so often. And uh, not today. I'm feeling like, all right, checking things off. Fabulous. Marcy, it's early yet on the West Coast. How are you? So far, so good. Interesting because this is my kind of day. It's very spiritual focused. So they're saying, mm-hmm. you know, it's a great day for rebirth and manifestation and all these things. So I, I will say this, unfortunately, I am drinking my last cup of coffee for the foreseeable future because I got, I had an, it's called an MRT food sensitivity test done. And that was done last week. I've been putting it off just because I didn't want to see what I could possibly be sensitive to. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people will do these ones. There's like that Everly well that you can do at home and they're just not very accurate mm-hmm. and people will get the results. And they're like, well, it's showing the foods that I'm, that I eat most often. currently consuming. Yeah. Right. So I'm not getting into the science behind that, but this one MRT is very accurate and it's just done in a different way. So I was like, you know, I, my health is really good. I've been feeling better than I have. And I can't even remember how long, but I still have some spots of my psoriasis that just will not heal. And food sensitivities can be one of the things that drive that. So I bit the bullet and I asked Vince for the test and he's like, yeah, you know, probably a good idea. So the results came back yesterday and they flag it either green, which means you don't have any reaction yellow or red. And I have like three red foods, some of which I don't even eat. Um, vanilla was one of them, which that's actually going to be difficult because vanilla extract or flavoring is in a lot of protein powders and just like some of the Mm. foods that I do enjoy eating. So one of my protein powders is out. Um, the other thing in red was asparagus, which Mm. I enjoy, but like, not like devastated by that. Not Uh, life-changing not life-changing. And then there were a couple other ones that I'm like, yeah, I never like cod and soul. I'm like, I've never even eaten soul in my entire life. So not sad about that. And cod's not so good. No, I do not like cod at all. Mm-hmm. The only white fish I like is halibut, but unfortunately coffee was flagged yellow. Okay. I know I was like, no. So We'll see. I mean, from what I understand, talking to some other people who have had it done, you have to remove the yellow foods for anywhere from three to six months, the red foods for a year. So I have my call with Vince. I scheduled it yesterday and it was supposed to be for Thursday. And then I woke up this morning to a text from him and he said, he's so short and to the point. 
test results are in book a call for Monday. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go and cancel that one. Uh, and I just said like, we'll do, I keep things very short with him. And then I got a text back that, you know, he wants to talk about something, or he said, there's good news for us to talk about. So, um, yes, I can't share a whole lot more, but mm -hmm. there have been some things in the works that I have been waiting on very patiently. And it sounds like I'm finally going to have some answers soon, which I'm excited about, uh, but just kind of interesting that it came on this 222, 222, on this magical 22, day. on this magic day. Yes. So I was wow, like, oh, well, look at that go. synchronicity. And it's a beautiful one, you know, bright blue skies and yeah, could not ask for anything better. So not in Katie's neck of the woods. It's not bright no. blue skies. No, it's like it thunder sleet outside. School's canceled. There's a sheet of ice across the city of Madison. And uh, we are, I was telling Kim, it is like quarantine style home today. Like we can barely step on our patio. Getting down to the gym this morning was treacherous. Um, there's just no, it's not like a cold day or a snow day where you're like, oh, I can squeeze in a target run. Like it is, we are homebound. Um, and it's interesting because Marcy, it occurred to me that, uh, you know, you're talking about, this is your last cup of coffee. So, uh, I haven't given up coffee entirely, but I have been off caffeine for about three weeks now. And I need to do a post on this because I shared, I, I've shared snippets about it on Instagram stories and people are curious. And I definitely have thoughts, um, bottom line is it's so much easier than I thought it was going to be. Mm. Um, and, and I'm sleeping like a rock. Like I've never slept before. Like the kind of sleep you get when you take cold medicine and you're like, Oh, that, that was that, like, I blacked out. Like I'm having that kind of sleep with pretty lucid, like intense positively. So dreams. Um, and I don't know if it is linked to the caffeine or linked to sort of just like a deeper level of, uh, of intuition that I'm calling upon from in myself, but, um, man, things are life is good post coffee for me so far. Interesting. So I have given up coffee before I was on a very, very strict elimination diet for, I think I did it for like five or six years called autoimmune paleo mm. and coffee was one of the things that was off the list. So yeah, I went for a long time without it and it does get easier for sure. And then you find some other things to replace it with. I don't drink a whole lot of caffeine. So when I do drink coffee, it's decaf. I know there's a little bit of caffeine in it. It's like and five then, milligrams. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll also drink matcha, which has, you know, some, I don't think as much as coffee, but it's supposed to be more like slow released. And then it also has, I think it's L-theanine in it. So it doesn't give you that like jittery or the jittery feeling or the crash afterwards. Mm -hmm. And then I'll use cocoa powder. So, but like, yeah, other than that, yeah. not a ton of caffeine, like I would say less than hundred milligrams a day. Um, but that's, I, I don't, I'm not surprised that yeah. you are sleeping better without it. Kim, are you a coffee drinker? I don't hear you talk about coffee very often. No, I don't at drink all, coffee. Right? Mm -mm. We are in the minority. I think a lot of people lean heavily on caffeine for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Well, with this conversation, I also received along with, you know, people always asking questions about my caffeine consumption. I recently received this question um, in my DMs and I wanted to bring it to you ladies because I thought it was a really interesting conversation that is probably stewing in a lot of people's minds. And uh, here's the question. I have a Peloton, which is a bike, which is like a cycling, a stationary cycling bike, uh, and mostly ride the power zones and, and power zone rides are like focused on achieving specific output levels at different times to really improve your like strength and endurance. 
So this person says she is a former runner, but had to stop due to injury. She fears that her legs will grow with the use of the bike. What is my opinion on that? Now I replied um, in a DM and, and kept it short and I screenshotted it and shared on stories. But to be clear, I am uh, training is not really in my wheelhouse. It's not my, my first love and it's really not where the bulk of my education lies. So I wanted to present this idea and talk a little bit about certainly first answering her question, but then like what other training mistakes, misconceptions, misinformation is out there that people are sort of up against in the pursuit of body composition changes. So who wants to sort of take on some thoughts first? I'm going to throw it to Kim on this one. Oh, okay. I'm happy to talk about it. You know, this is a, a question I, and a concern raised by many women, whether it's talking about bike riding or whether it's talking about lifting lower body, they don't want their legs to get bigger. They don't want bulky looking legs. And the interesting thing about that is it's not often the training that's, that's going to cause that to happen. What often is presenting is women are storing excess fat in their thighs and they're worried that training is going to make that even bigger because they're not comfortable with the size of their thighs. What happens usually though, is if a person wants to lose body fat and they're in a deficit and they start losing fat, their legs are going to get smaller and more toned. There's that word that everybody in the fitness industry doesn't like, but everybody who's a lay person understands, right? You know, like they want that defined look when you do training, whether it's riding on the bike or whether it's lifting weights, when you're doing training, if you're eating in a deficit and losing fat, your legs are going to end up looking smaller, not bigger. So for this person on the bike, I would suggest, like, I have no idea, like, is she looking to lose fat? Like what's happening in that area? I wouldn't be concerned that your legs are going to get bigger because of muscle. Um, frankly, like riding the bike, sure, like cyclists have nice looking legs, but they're probably doing some strength training too. That endurance type work is not what's going to build muscle necessarily most effectively. Training down in a, in a lower weight range is going to help you, you know, to build muscle. And if you're like, I don't want to build muscle, well, do you want your legs to look shapely? Mm -hmm. If so, you want to build muscle because there's, there's this idea people think that there's like bulky muscle and like lean toned muscle. And it just literally doesn't exist. Like there's mm -hmm. not, it's not a thing. You're either building muscle or you're not building muscle. And what that muscle is going to look like on your legs or anywhere in your body is going to depend on how much fat is there too. Absolutely. Marsh, what do you have to add? Not a whole lot, to be honest with you. I think you summed it up very well. I do remember when I was in college and had already gotten into training. So I, I would say, gosh, by that point, I had been lifting since I was 15, not necessarily with any rhyme or reason or structure, but I was definitely lifting and pushing myself, not necessarily following a program though. And my lower body has always been my, like, I'll say the bane of my existence. So it was the thing that made me start to exercise and diet in the first place because I never liked the size of my legs. And yeah, so for some reason, I don't even know why in college, I just decided one day, you know what? Kind of like this woman was saying, I don't want my legs to get any bigger. So I am not going to train them at all. So I probably went I would say a year without doing much lower body work. Um, and I will say that because at that time I was doing tons of cardio 
and walking all over that damn campus. I've said this before, I lost 15 pounds my freshman year of college. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with my like extremely high neat activity. I mean, I wasn't tracking steps at that point, but if I had to guess, I mean, 20,000 steps a day, just cause you're walking oh, wow. all around the campus. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't have a car my freshman year. So I would bike a lot of places as well. I got really into running. So yeah, I was very, very active. And then I also had, you know, disordered eating. So I was probably eating 1200 calories a day and my legs definitely got smaller. So I was fitting into like a size double zero jeans mm -hmm. at some point. So <laughs> yeah. And that was probably, fr yeah. Freshman, sophomore year when I was not lifting legs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, so my legs were also always like the thing when I was wanting to lose weight, I, I store a lot of my fat in my thighs. And when I started lifting weights, when I start, when I first lost initial fat there, they looked different. They looked smaller. They looked better in my mind. Um, what really changed the shape of my legs was several years of strength training. It did not happen fast. It's not like, oh, I've been strength training for a couple of months. Now my legs look different. I definitely saw more definition in other parts of my body first, but after several years of consistent strength training, I finally had legs that were looking smaller and shapelier than they'd ever looked before I touched a weight. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, really the importance of the lifting is you can do it in a fashion, especially if you are coupling the coupling it with cardio where you're just maintaining, you're not legitimately trying to build. So the, if you're in a deficit as well, then unless you are someone who is very new to training or you had an injury and you have not lifted for a long time, it's damn near impossible to build substantial muscle. That's going to make your legs look bulky if you are in a calorie deficit or even like, you know, at maintenance, like we talk about body recomposition sometimes, and that is a very slow process where you're trying to lose body fat, gain muscle. Like that's like waiting for pain to dry. So mm -hmm. I, I don't really recommend that approach, but yeah, if you're just, you know, doing kind of the, the minimal effective dose to maintain the muscle mass that you already have, you are going to be much happier with your results because, and I always feel bad using this term, but like skinny fat for lack of a better one. So is that what you want your legs to look like where they're, yeah, they're smaller, but they're just a softer version of your former your you know, your bigger size legs. I think it's important to consider a lot of people think kind of Marcy, what you were alluding to about when you were first uh, in college, the more I do in terms of cardio, the, the more I'm going to lose weight, the faster I'm going to lose weight. And, and that's not wrong, but you have to really consider what is the weight you want to lose. And if you're prioritizing cardiovascular activity, the weight you are going to lose is probably going to be muscle, or at least it's going to preserve fat first. Let's say if you even happen to have muscle on your frame. Um, and if you think about a pound of muscle, a pound of muscle is going to look like, you know, like, like your fist. And a pound of fat is going to look like a fluffy throw pillow, right? So like, which pound do you want on your body? Um, they're going to measure very differently, obviously. And when we get into things that are super high intensity cardio, like these power zone rides, like the 45 minute hit and hills rides that I've been sharing on my Instagram, I think it's really important to remember that oftentimes 
that is going to trigger our body to want more calories and consume more food. And so what we are offsetting in this deficit, we are making up for in, in eating more. And as a result, what sometimes happens is not only will you see some inflammation from a really difficult, challenging cardiovascular intense workout on your body like that, certainly your legs, if we're talking about something like cycling or running, but you'll be hungrier and possibly consuming more calories. So when you put those two things together, yeah, your legs may grow. And in your mind, correlation, right? Does not equal causation. We talk about that a lot, but in your mind, you may say, wow, this growth did not start until I started riding this bike. Those two things are, are aligned. And I think that is a misconception that we need to kind of um, break down and dismantle a little bit because one does not necessarily equal the other. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it came to me suddenly, I do want to mention one thing. So I have a client who has been working with me for a while now, and she's definitely built like me. So just a, a more petite woman. So probably, you know, five, two, five, three, very like lean on her upper body, but then stores the majority of her weight in her lower body. So, it's one of those things like you can't spot reduce. So the, mm -hmm. the body fat is going to come off where it is going to come off. And, you know, typically if you have more in one area, you know, it's going to obviously take longer for it to catch up with air, other areas where you don't have as much body fat, but yeah, we can't just say, well, my legs are, I'm insecure about my legs. I don't like how big they are. So I just hope that the body fat comes off from there. Like that's just not how it works. And I also made that mistake, you know, trying to do like the, I was taking all these step classes starting when I was in high school and I would do those like kickback things on, on the aerobic steps or, you know, on the step mill, kicking my leg back, thinking that that was going to like whittle the fat away. No, not true. Um, but anyway, going back to this client. So I had her in a fat loss phase for a while and it was amazing to see like, yeah, even though her legs were, you know, where she did store the majority of her body fat and especially compared to her upper body that they still leaned out. Um, and she mentioned a couple of weeks ago, like, wow, it's so amazing what all of this walking is doing. She even said it, like, I really feel like the walking has leaned out my legs and I have her strength training, you know, three days per week, I think. So I think I have her, her on an upper lower full body split. So she's hitting lower body, you know, two times per week. Um, so more just maintaining than anything and then getting a lot of steps in a calorie deficit. And mm -hmm. now her legs are leaning out. You can see that separation in her quads, but she hasn't lost any muscle. So she doesn't look that she doesn't have that skinny fat. Right. I love what you said, Katie, <laughs> that fluffy throat pillow. It's true. Kim, you talk so much about walking and you encourage people to walk every single day. Can you expand a little bit more on what Marcy said about how walking can actually contribute to a leaner physique? Yeah. You know, I don't have people walking necessarily, um, like, Hey, like let's, um, shape your legs kind of thing, but it's going to help with your deficit for sure. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's a way to, um, it's one of the most efficient ways to burn more calories, way more impactful. I mean, this is what research shows us that neat is way more impactful than what you're going to do it in the gym or on your bike. Because if you think about it, it just makes complete sense. There's 24 hours in a day. How many hours are you going to go do cardio sessions? Like how often, like, even if you're super like hardcore an hour a day, crazy people, two hours a day, then what you sleep eight, that's 10 hours. The rest of the time that you're awake 
is a time that it's capable for you to increase your movement. And I really like to work with people on moving more within what they're already doing in their life. And then including walks as well. Mm -hmm. There's so much benefit to getting outside in nature and doing the walks, but even just all of the things like walking when you're on phone calls and walking, you know, instead of standing in front of the, the pot that you're watching cook at dinner, like walking around and getting steps in them. Like there's so many ways to get more movement in that's going to benefit your longevity, but also mm-hmm. is going to help increase the total number of calories that you burn in a day. And it's so simple to like attach walks to after every meal or, you know, walk a certain number of steps a day. So absolutely. It's, it's a huge dial mover for mm-hmm. weight loss when we're talking about the calories out portion. I love that. It's so low stress too. And so it really, yeah. it, it, it doesn't, enact your sympathetic nervous system and you're still getting some caloric burn as well, which is, which is really nice. So really I wanted to say quickly, Kate, because you mentioned the thing about, uh, increased hunger when it comes to cardio. And, and I have definitely seen that anecdotally for sure. But when it comes to the more non-exercise, just like overall movement, like you're talking, your knee, your step count that has been shown to actually help with appetite regulation. So you are not going to be as hungry, even in a deficit, you're going to feel more satisfied from your meals. And it's one of the reasons why I am really big on people going for post-meal walks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just because after you eat, you know, sometimes you're like, Oh, I'm still kind of hungry. Like I want a little something else. And it can be yeah. really easy to like sneak into the pantry and, you know, have a handful of this or that. And I was like, no, just break that habit. So like that, that cue or that trigger is all right. As soon as my meal is done, I get my butt up and I go out for, you know, anywhere from like, let's say a five to 15 minute walk. And that can kind of help you practice that pause. Again, you're going to be burning some more calories too. helps with digestion, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I've noticed like the, the appetite regulation, uh, to really be a thing, um, the more movement mm-hmm. that I get, but the more low intensity movement that I get. So that is so accessible too. I don't know anyone who couldn't find five minutes or even just moving in place for five minutes after a meal. And I agree that that just, that moves energy, I think too, in addition to all the benefits you mentioned. And sometimes just moving energy is all it takes to get out of that like snacky place. Like I wish I wasn't done eating yet, even though I'm full. Um, I think that just, it just hits the mark on so many levels. Like when in doubt walk, right? Like that is just seems to be the answer to everything. So I want to just touch on efficiency because we, we mentioned it earlier and it matters to so many people. Like nobody has all the time in the world to train in the gym. We're not, you know, division one athletes. We're all like, you know, mothers or, or people who have full-time jobs, et cetera. So let's say you're someone who's like, okay, physiologically, I'm someone with a pear shape. I'd really like to grow my glutes, but not my legs or vice versa. Are there exercises? Are there lower body exercises out there? Some that will target glutes better than say, um, your, your, your calves or not your calves, but your, um, your thighs. Can we talk about some of those? Yeah, for sure. Uh, first thing I'd say is really remember that losing fat is going to be the key. Like losing fat in your legs is going to be the thing that really changes that. But then as far as exercises, really working with hip hinging motions is going to be the key versus, um, squat dominant patterns. Not that you shouldn't be doing any squat dominant patterns. You should, but you can focus more on doing hip thrusts, glute bridges, Romanian deadlifts, um, and all the variations of theirs. There's so many different variations of, of those single leg hip thrusts and, you know, single leg glute brushes, brushes, bridges and one and a half reps. You can even do, um, 
lay on your back and put your feet up on the bench and do uh, glute bridges that way. Um, lots of different variations of those moves. Mm, those are great tips. Mm -hmm. I will say, and going back to Brett Contreras's work, he, cause he gets asked this question all the time about, I don't want to grow my thighs. I just want to grow my glutes. And he says, if you don't want to even grow your quads, then avoid heavy hip thrusting because there is still a lot of quad engagement in that, which I, I have noticed from personal experience. I was like, wow, I really felt my quads on that one. Uh, even if my setup is good. So I would say air more on the side of the glute bridge or what's now being coined as like the CAS glute bridge, where it's a hip thrusting position, but you're only really doing like the top half of the movement and isolating the glutes more there. And then don't forget back extensions. That's one of the best ones. I think that's all, all hamstrings. So misnamed. Why are they called that? Glute extensions. I don't know. Right. <laughs> You're right though. Because, because most people do them as a back extension. Let's yeah. be honest. <laughs> yeah. Let, let, those let, are fantastic. Especially if you do the right posture, um, to focus on your glutes, which is a more rounded over posture. And, um, we'd have to really show that on video for y'all to be able to see that. I'm not sure. I'm trying to think of, I don't think I have a YouTube video of that up yet, but yeah, those are fantastic. So let, when we're again, like thinking in terms of efficiency, let's say someone has, you know, 40 minutes in the gym and it's a lower body day. We all know warming up has its purpose and it is important. And, you know, you can certainly spend 15, 20 minutes on a dynamic warm up, And I think that that's probably, uh, most professionals would say that that's essential. Let me ask you ladies, let's say you have, you got 30 minutes in the gym, 40 minutes in the gym, how much time and exactly how do you allocate that warm up time to make your strength training most effective? You want to go first, it, Mars? Sure. Cause I don't warm up. Oh, you, <laughs> you don't. don't warm up. Okay. Well, <laughs> well let's that talk keeps it really efficient. Skeletons. Let's, let's, let's air, let's air our dirty laundry. No, I'll air, I'll air the dirty laundry. And to be honest, like I haven't really noticed a difference. Um, I think like on what, what day was it Sunday or Saturday? I went in there to do my lower body quad dominant workout. And I was like, Oh, I'm still kind of feeling sore. So I did, I don't know some, I don't know what you call them anymore. Um, like adductor mobilizations, hip flexor mobilizations. That was pretty much it. And I'm like, all right, I'm good to go. So yeah, I'm probably not the person to ask. <laughs> okay. You I've can been... ask me, uh, once you get to be a woman of a certain age, not warming up is not a good plan. Something's going to get injured. <laughs> like it's mm -hmm. just, I warm up. And even if I'm doing lower body, I still warm up my shoulders because I have chronic issues with my shoulder. I have shoulder pain and it's just good for me to get that mobilized. But I will say there was a, when I was first in the fitness industry, what, like maybe six years ago, it was still part of the whole time period where people were so into like foam rolling and warming up. And like, I would see these crazy things about how long we're supposed to warm up. And I'm like, who has the time for this? If I spend that much time warming up, like when am I working out? Like it's too much. Um, so for me, for my clients, I do not spend a ton of time on the warm up. I do think it's important, um, but it doesn't have to be super long. So we're talking like five to eight minutes of mm -hmm. warming up. So doing something, if you want to do something that's like hop on the treadmill, hop on the exercise bike to like, just kind of get some blood pumping, um, physically warming up your muscles. You can do that. I typically tend towards just doing, um, so you would do that. I'm not saying just do that, but that would be your first go-to or doing, um, mobility exercises. Mm -hmm. 
And then after you do both of those things, really warming up for your heavy sets or whatever your main exercise is. So if it's squats, you know, warming up, starting with an empty bar and then adding some pounds, doing like three reps, adding some pounds, doing four reps, and then adding some pounds, you know, getting closer. So working up to your first set. But before I do that, I do mobility exercises. So, um, and it really depends on what the workout's going to be, but I usually do three to four different mobility exercises and then, um, then hit those kind of mm -hmm. warm up sets. So you'll um, know you're there when you've activated your CNS, your central nervous system, and you're, mm -hmm. you're feeling like you're almost ready to maybe take off a layer or you're just, your heart's moving a little bit more Then you're ready for your working sets. Yeah. And yeah. that will be more now. Okay. So explain, can, can you explain this? Why is that more effective than simply just getting into the workout or is it? What doing a warm up? Doing get, take, taking the, the five to eight minutes to mm -hmm. activate your CNS and and feel physically warm. Like why does why is why would you have better results doing that? Well, one, you're going to be less likely to injure yourself because if you've just been like laying on the sofa or sitting at your desk all day and then you get up and like you go like slap some heavy weight on a bar and start squatting, like there's a good chance you're going to injure yourself. Like we need some warm tissue. We need, you know, uh, mm -hmm. fluid in your joints. So that's going to help. It also is really useful. Those warm up sets where it, whether it's deadlifting or bench pressing or hip thrusting or squatting, like whatever your main movement is like, so that when you hit your first sets that you've really grooved this movement pattern that you've, that you're like, okay, this is how I'm, I'm moving really well. I've got everything set up. Right. Um, it really does help so that you are very focused on actually moving the weight that you want to move. Once mm -hmm. you've already really grooved that pattern, it's a great time to practice your setup for each of those movements. So if you're still like working on setting up your squats, like when you're doing it just with the bar for eight reps, it's a really great time to practice those kinds of things. And then when you actually are ready to have a working set, all the kinks are worked out and you're just focusing on moving that weight. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. I don't want the, the listeners to think that I don't warm up at all. I just, I think I have PTSD from being at that powerlifting gym when my warm up, <laughs> literally, my warm up probably took a half an hour at that place. I had to start whether, no. whether it was a lower body day or an upper body day, dragging a sled for, I think like 15 minutes, like you strap this belt around your waist and you walk down one way. We had this like really long, probably like an, I would say 80 yard driveway. So you walk down and then you like walk backwards going the other way. And then I had to do reverse hypers and I had to do mobility. And it was just like such a process. I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm never doing this again. So then when I went back to doing my own workouts, like I cut all of that out, but I absolutely do warm up sets before my lift. I'm just not doing like a ton of mobility. And I think mm -hmm. I, I don't work out first thing in the morning. So I'm not just like jumping out of bed. If I, if I did, then yes, I would go in there and mobilize and like walk on the treadmill just to get the blood flowing. Mm -hmm. uh, but usually I work out in the evenings. So like I've been up walking around, like I am warm, I am well-fed, all of those things, but I absolutely do warm up or like ramp up sets prior to like really getting into it. Yeah. They're and super that, important. A, yeah. And the amount of mobility exercises, I agree, Marcy, 30 minutes would be crazy, but the amount of mobility exercises the person needs is going to vary person to person and what they're working on. Um, and you know, what, um, how, what's going on with their body. Like I said, for me, I always have to do a lot of mobility for my shoulders. Um, a lot of my clients struggle with ankle mobility. And so, you know, we're really working on doing ankle mobility exercises. And again, it's a couple of movements. It's not time consuming. Um, 
on their lower body days. We have them definitely doing ankle mobility exercises. Um, a lot of them you know, struggling with hip mobility. So we do some hip things mm-hmm. in there as well. And of course, shoulders are a big one. Gosh, so many people come to me with injured shoulders. It's just, mm. it's one of those joints. It's one of those things that people, so for so many different yeah. reasons, and I have my own shoulder issues. So we, we do tons of shoulder mobility. And when I say we do tons of it, I don't mean in one session, but it's something we're constantly hammering yeah. just a little bit with each, um, either each workout or with each upper body day, at least. Yeah. Functional training is just so important for that is exactly it. We, we use these muscles for things like picking up our children and our groceries and gardening and all of this sort of thing. And it's like, gosh, if you don't have the, the, the proper form for a deadlift and you're, and you're trying to, you know, haul something around in your house, like it's the difference between like being immobilized for six months or like carrying on with your life. So yeah, I think it's really important to keep in mind that, I mean, in addition to these modalities like, you know, cardio and strength training. It's so important to remember stuff like the warm up, and then also recovery matters too. And I mean, there's, there, there's active modality recoveries and there's passive modalities. And I think, uh, we talked a little bit about the active ones, like the mobility, the stretching, the walking. Um, but what are your thoughts on the more passive modalities? And by that, I mean, the ones where somebody actually does something to us, like, like a float tank, a massage, um, you know, gosh, I guess like, acupuncture could be considered, are those necessary or relevant in the recovery process or can we manage our recovery completely independently? I I don't know that there's, I don't know how much research, I'm trying to think what I've read research-wise as far as those. I don't remember seeing anything saying like, hey, this is gonna be a game changer. Like if you have these things, I can say anecdotally, like with myself, like I I get sports massages and it really does help me personally but I don't know that there's research to support that. Marcy, are you aware of any? Yeah, I'm not aware of research and I don't think that it makes a huge difference. I wonder if it's more so just like the overall stress reduction. So it's not necessarily that like what that massage is like doing to your tissue. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, is it maybe like working out some kinks or not? Yeah, possibly so. Like, is that going to help you move better? Sure. But yeah, I would almost see it from the perspective of, okay, I am in this low stress state. My, my nervous system is in a parasympathetic state. So that is helping my overall recovery rather than like the actual modality itself. Mm-hmm. So I've done all of those things. I've had acupuncture done on my shoulder. I've done, um, massage, um, chiropractic adjustments, all these kinds of things. And for mm-hmm. me, combinations of these have worked in various Uh, at various times for both my shoulder, for my elbow, for my, um, uh, I was having leg pain. So I have found success in using combinations of those things. I think it's going to vary person to person. And like I said, I don't know that there's much research to say like, Hey, this is what you need. Or if we're talking from like, not even like I have something wrong with me, but just like for a for keeping your body moving well. I don't know. I'm not aware of any research that says like, Hey, you should get all these done to, things done to keep yourself moving really well as part of your recovery. Um, mm-hmm. I think the most important things are recover for recovery are eating enough food, getting good sleep, managing your workout volume and taking actual rest days. I think those are the places to focus your energy and then, you know, like, like walking to active recovery, we could add to that group. Those are like the powerhouse moves. Mm-hmm. And nailed Agreed. it. Fantastic. Is there anything else, any other topic or, or anything related to this topic that you ladies would think we should discuss or chime in about? Hmm. 
Not often, but I'm a blank at the moment. Um, no, no, <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's just kind of a kind of what you were saying at the end, Kim, about making sure that you keep re- or take rest days. So more is not better. Better is better. So eventually there is a point of diminishing returns and you've got to ask yourself if what I'm doing is not working right now, then is more really the answer. So if I'm lifting five or six days per week, if I'm doing, you know, multiple days of cardio and I'm still not getting the results that I want, then likely it's about paring down what you were doing it, doing it more, like I said, more, more better. That doesn't make sense. Do it more better. (laughs) You know, but like, but yeah, just uh, to make, making sure like you're on a structured program, you're following a plan, you're, um, you're taking those rest days, you're, Kim, as you said, like adequate volume, but interspersed, you know, over um, not too many days, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing three full body days a week. That's it. And I've never been stronger. I've never picked up more weight. I've never pushed more weight. I've never hinged more weight. And I've never spent less time in the gym since I started strength training. So that's not a test. What programming are you doing currently? I know you like to kind of like try different things out for periods of time. And so whose programming are you doing currently? I have programming that's being written for me by Caroline Ofenstein. She's my coach and she does, you know, muscles, mind manifestation, all of that sort of thing. But she also writes programming. And so that's been a luxury that I never thought was something that, I would partake in because I enjoyed other people's programming. I've run Jordan's programming before. Um, his inner circle is fantastic. And I think that was the first place I went where I learned the less is more actually was effective for me. I think he, ha- he has like either three full body days or like upper, lower, upper, lower programming that you can choose from. And me thinking, you know, more was better. I'm like, I'm going to do upper, lower, upper, lower. That's, that's going to be the right choice for me. And I just like burned out. Like I was always sore. I was always sore mm. somewhere, even just going four days. And eventually I, I hopped over to, to what Caroline's been doing for me for the last six months or so. And so I, I strength trained three days. And then the other three days I either go for a Peloton ride and it's not like a, a killer ride. It's no different than I would say, just walking on the treadmill. Um, Sometimes I do some super intense rides, but, but generally my cardio and my strength training is pretty well balanced. But when I'm in the gym, I'm like, I have the energy to absolutely crush it in a way that I haven't been able to do before. And I'm pretty sure it's because of the recovery and the, the, the cardio that I'm doing that is not super stressful. Hmm. It's working. It's working for me. And I think that's the important thing, right? Like my sweet spot is not going to be anybody else's sweet spot, but I've found that three full body days is, is spot on for me. And I can see it in my, in my butt, frankly, like I, I I can't see it all over, but that's the, the, the best place that I can identify it because I have more body fat on than I did a couple Mm. years ago. And so, um, I certainly don't look as, as shredded as I did, but I know I'm picking up more weight and I can see it in my silhouette too. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mars, who's programming? What are you doing? Are you still doing um, Paul, Carter? Paul Carter? I I took a break from Paul Carter just because I was really sick of his bad attitude and the way that he talked to us in the group. He was such a jerk. Oh, like, was he really? Because he's not super friendly and feel good. Like on Instagram, I was thinking maybe he was different with the group. Uh, no, he's no, almost like as bad, if not worse. I'm like these women are paying you and 
but then you get all of these ones who like someone will come in and ask a question and he makes them feel like they're an idiot kind of like a how dare you ask that um oh, yeah he's, he's very he's very rude um which you know like I'm not I'm not taking it personally and I also like I don't dare ask a question um in case you know it's the wrong question but I, I just kind of felt like I couldn't support it. And it's too bad because Paul wrote my one-on-one or like my individual programs for close to a year, like during quarantine. And I really liked those. I like Valkyrie, the program that he puts out. Um, but yeah, I was just kind of like, I don't know if this feels in my integrity to support. Mm. Um, so I've been doing for the past 12 weeks, a program from a guy named Eric Ladine. His company is Lean Bodies Consulting, and he's like the OG of online fitness coaches. So he was my first coach when I was 24. And at the time he was very much like he was younger, you know, in his probably late twenties, early thirties, and definitely more had the competitor, like figure competitor demographic. And I was all about that life. So I hired him and worked with him for maybe like, I don't know, a year and a half or so. And I always really liked his programming. And then once I stopped working with him, I did other things, but I've always just kind of like, I've followed him on and off over the years. And he's now like, now that he's in his mid forties, he's kind of making the switch to, I don't want to say targeting women in like the peri post or peri menopausal and postmenopausal space, but just talking more about that and the importance, like you can't do things like you used to do anymore. Like you need more recovery. You need more stress management. You need to mitigate your volume, all of that. So he put out a program recently that was glutes and shoulders focus. It was five days. And that is that's my bread and butter, you know, like always trying to grow the shoulders. So I've been doing that. I am on week 12. Thank God, because I am so over it. Yeah. (laughs) I liked the program, but I think my sweet spot is more like eight weeks on something is pushing it. Six weeks is more my sweet spot. I've done four before. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this was just, this was too much. So I, I don't know what I'm going to do after this. Like I may run another one of his programs because I signed up for a year of his like membership. Mm. Um, but I'm one now we're going into like, what's called a neural phase. So working more on like strength, which I haven't focused on strength for years and years. I've really just been more focused on bodybuilding or like hypertrophy, physique development, that kind of thing. But I know that there is utility in, you know, sometimes running a more strength-based cycle, like you can go back to hypertrophy, like, and get more out of it. So, but if it's going to be 12 weeks, I just, I don't know. So I may, I got to see what this program looks like. And if I'm not on board, then I probably will go back to, to Paul's just because it worked for me and just stay off, stay out of the forum. <laughs> stay out of the forum. Yeah. Just do the programming and you don't need any, uh, yeah. any yeah. of his personality in there apparently. Exactly. And Kim, what are you doing right now? So I've been doing my own programming, which is not something I've done in ages and ages. Um, you know, Jordan has been my coach. He was my coach for the longest, longest time he's still my business coach. He just hasn't been writing my programming just mainly because he just doesn't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, this is not really what you do. And he was like, just sending me text messages with my program. And I'd be like, Hey, I didn't get my new program. Didn't get my new program. Be like, Oh, here you go. And I was like, I you're just, this isn't what you do. Like I, Mm -hmm. I felt like it was more of a favor to me. So I'm like, it's fine. And so then I was doing some of his inner circle programming. And then I was like, you know, I kind of want to do a five day, um, which kind of would might be counterintuitive to people if they're like, I was struggling with like 
really feeling excited about my training. So you might think like, well, so do less of it, right? Like go to three day, um, which, which is where I had been. I just wasn't feeling excited about my training. And what I decided I wanted to do was um, spend m- smaller amounts of time, more days per week training. And mm-hmm. so I'm doing um, upper, lower, upper, lower. And then I'm having like a shoulders and arm focus day, which I've always found really fun. Like mm-hmm. I like doing bicep curls. Like I know that's weird, but I do. No. <laughs> like I like it and I'm more excited about my training now um, than I've been in a long time. Although I'm not going to train myself forever. It's not the best. It's not like I do better with a coach rather than writing my own stuff. We have, we do better when other people are like, do your friggin' Bulgarian split squats. Right. Oh, um, so I won't, I would say, never I program those for myself. All right. <laughs> and I do, but then I'm fighting with, I'm arguing with myself. Um, <laughs> so I won't do my own programming permanently. I'm actually, I also like the idea of hiring coaches to learn from them. So I'm trying to decide like who, and I, it's hard because I'm like, I kind of want to learn from somebody different, like somebody not in my circle, but how do you find somebody not in your circle? So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking for somebody um, who I don't know and I don't know their programming well, and I don't know a lot about them yet. So I can find out. So stay tuned in coming months. I will find a new coach somewhere and learn some new things. Cool. Well, ladies, before we shut it down, I have to ask Kim, tell us about your sweatshirt. Cause that looks awesome. Cozy. Oh. And I want to know more. My sweatshirt? Yes. It's my, it's my merch. I didn't know you had merch. I do have merch. I launched, when did I launch it? Last fall, last fall, I launched merch. I don't talk about it all that often. Um, I'll put a link up in my stories or we can put it in here. We can put put it in in the, the, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I have ones that like, I have sweatshirts, I have tank tops and they say Kim Slot Fitness is some of them. And I have ones that say get up because that's what I'm always telling people to go for a walk. Yes. I have ones that say, um, uh, aging stronger. Um, wait, I'm wearing, I'm wearing the tank top too. Wait, what's oh one, my gosh. This is one of my, this is one of my get up tanks. Yeah. So I have a bunch of merch. Super cute. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in this week. We will look forward to catching you next week. Thanks. Bye everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Decades of Strength podcast. If you liked this, if it was helpful for you, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review wherever you're listening. It really does help our work get in front of more people. Thanks so much for being here with you and we'll see you again next week.